Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be rejoined by my friend Jim Nasser, who's the CEO and founder of Acor. Now, Acor is a is a organization that provides rich, relevant, interoperable, out of the box, restful API based software to build modern healthcare software to marketably re- improve return on software investment and ultimately improve patient outcome. Now, to hear more about how this company got started what it really involves. I want you to go back to episode 25, where I initially um, interviewed Jim, and you'll quickly see why I invited him back on here. We discussed everything from blockchain as a way to compute trust. We discussed why clarity is more important than success. And we talked about how to use clarity with your team to create better objective resources. We got into everything from The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, Atomic Habits by James Clear, and Deep Work by Cal Newport. And we had a fascinating conversation. Since then, in 2020, they were obviously focused very much so uh, on the healthcare with the outbreak of COVID and you know, being a solution uh, to that whole healthcare system. In 2021, they've expanded to work in variety of markets, uh, even doing getting into the NFT game, it sounds like, and the blockchain. And so with a lot of exciting updates, I'm excited to welcome back Jim. So Jim, thank you for being here, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Drew. I appreciate you having me back. And I guess, buyer beware. <laughs> well, here's where I want to start. We got into uh, a conversation the first time around your business, and this time I want to get in conversation around you. I find people infinitely fascinating. I find that we are all on some journey, hopefully, of unfolding, of becoming, of growing, and often the things that we find ourselves in, the pursuits we endeavor, the responsibilities we take on, are often mirrors that show us things about ourselves. And as we show up to those things, uh, we can uh, have the opportunity to improve. And so. Uh, as a performance coach myself, I would love just to have a conversation with you about you and get to know you a little bit better for our audience and see where, where the conversation goes. So the first question that I want to ask you, Jim, is if you take a kind of a 30,000-foot view look at the different things in your life, what are the things that you consider to be most important? And by most important, I don't mean that you just have a value for them, but that you find need prioritizing, they need investing in, that they, they, they are not things that you can just kind of take for granted. What are, what are some of those things that come to mind, whether it be relationships or daily habits or health or business practices? Yeah, it's um, a good question, Drew. I mean, I think um, to me, the most important, you know, is family, is, you know, like, uh, my immediate family, children, my, my, my wife, and, and kind of really our, our family union and what we do. That's really ultimately many of my decisions are driven by you know by my priorities there right um however i think it's it's one of those things that you know i I think we all would probably say that i think certainly those of us with with children probably say that uh you know kind of de facto uh however as as we may have spoken about you know in the prior conversation i think in order for you to accomplish some of those lofty goals you kind of really need to be on top of yourself uh you know it's it's these things don't really happen by coincidence. There's, you know, as they say, you earn your luck. Like, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Lots of metaphors in that way. But, you know, so all to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in um, personal 
development, certainly health. You know, I, I, I like daily, basically, I, have, uh, you know, I work out daily. I have a, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but very, very long daily streak that I maintain of meeting my goals. And, you know, it's almost to the point of obsession, but, but nonetheless, you know, it's part of my kind of my makeup and, and I see it manifesting good things in other parts of my life professionally and, and other things I do. Uh, and, you know, to be honest with you, there, there's a lot to be said for sustainability. Mm. You know, I, we tend to remember, you know, like the peaks, like, you know, like the, the beginning or the end or, or the peaks, but life is the journey, right? You know, and, you know, I'm not a believer that all we do is, is like try and quote, accomplish something. Uh, and then once you get there, then accomplish something else. I, I think those are great milestones to have, but it's a journey that, that really matters because, you know, you, you can't just like live for one moment in, in a six month period type of thing or, or, or something completely, you know, really arbitrary and, and metrics defined by society or, or, you know, business or things like this. I think all of that would, would kind of forsake the actual living. And I yeah. think I'm in a place where the actual living is really important. And I think if I do that, then it imputes well onto the other things. Let's talk about that for a second, because to me, this is a tricky mental uh, balance of thinking through things like having clear goals, being motivated to achieve goals, to actually have results, yet also realizing that you can lose yourself in the always striving, never present, never satisfied experience right you know in psychology they call it the if then fallacy it's this it's this misbelief that if i finally achieve this then i'll finally feel this if i finally get here then i'll actually be done or i can rest and they go oh that's a fallacy like we play that game again and again we keep moving the goal mark back you know but then when you see on the other side people that have are, are aimless and have no goals and are moving towards nothing also experience a pain and so how do you think about that balance of being driven and trying to achieve goals, yet also learning to embrace the journey and be happy and, and joyful now? Does that does that question make sense? It does make sense, and I, you know, again, it, there is a little bit of a dichotomy going on there, right? And, and you kind of have to balance your mind, you know, in different ways, which may seem contradictory. Though I don't really think it's it is contradictory. I think having goals and being, and I am goal oriented and driven, and I think many people who may describe me would use the word driven. I think that's, you know, or focus and things like this. Um, but to me, those are kind of extrinsic, you know, goals and measures that help me like focus on, on the, the immediate growth things. And the immediate growth things are the things I actually really, you know, like, like I try and appreciate because um, whether or not I hit those like, you know, let's call them BHAGs, those, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals, um, doesn't define me. Mm. But what I do on a daily basis, the process does define me. And, I, and I've found, Drew, to be honest with you, that even in the professional sense, it's the process that defines you. It's the mm. culture, the process that defines you, as opposed to like, you know, hey, I'm on, uh, you know, I made in 5,000 or I made whatever, or, or, you know, we made the 18% margin or, or this, that, the other. I think that those are things that, uh, you know, can be quite transient and, and really meaningless because yeah, it's easy, well, not easy, it is possible to manipulate the process to get the results. 
but but you know if, if you get to results doing the process the way that you want to do it and the way you know you're really going to kind of feel it then then you get value even if you don't hit those metrics you know at the time you want it yeah and i yeah. think to be honest with you i think manifesting this is, is pretty easy to me if i think about like my health as example you know it's not some i'm not talking about like academic topics or, or some kind of a, you know, intangible concept. It's very, very real. It's like, you know, like getting up, putting your shoes on, like, you know, you got goals to make. Uh, I'm going to write this amount of, you know, like miles. I'm going to go on uh, the commitments that you make that you keep and that you keep on making. And, and, and then it just becomes this, this kind of, uh, you know, really positive cycle, you know, and the more you do it, the more you realize not only is, is it positive, but it's actually becoming easier. You know, to, to other people, it may seem like this like insane thing, hmm. but to you, it's just it's just one step forward. You know, uh, I read a book. I think it's called Champions Mind. Um, you know, and they did analysis of, of like Olympic level champion athletes versus other Olympic athletes. So I'm not yeah. talking about like average Joe's like me, but but you know, like truly top class athletes. And and it turns out that really the difference at that very highest level is is basically who can cope with the boredom better. The very top champions are the ones who can grind through the boredom because at some point, you know, like, like training or, or competition or whatever it is you're doing or, or you know, your, your daily routine, it can become boring. It can become a grind. Yeah. And for, for the, the, the ones who are at the very top and get the most, you know, I guess accolades or maybe even in personal satisfactions, they're the ones that can deal with the boredom. And I think that's just part of it. It's this, this process idea. I love that. So let's back up a second. What are the things in your life that you find it important to put goals to? You know, I, I mean, I would say for sure, this, this idea that daily like health goals, you know, it's really part of, you know, what I do these days. Um, you know, I've, I've met my daily goal, you know, I think almost 500 consecutive days now. Are they, so, are they end goal? Are they, um, are they goals like have lost this much weight or gained this much strength or are they goals no, activity-based? Like It's activity-based. No, it's not about like hitting it. And I have to be honest, I don't worry about, you know, it's really about like, you know, for instance, if you track it using Apple watch, you have, you have like thousand, like in my case, thousand move points Yeah. or, you know, move calories, which, which really necessitates exercise, you know, unless you're walking for, you know, 10 hours in a day, it's very, very hard to hit hit that goal you yeah. kind of have to exercise you have to do something beyond just the normal routine of, of you know like your work so that that means you know that to me is, is a meaningful goal because i know what it takes yeah. at least minimally to meet that and then i obviously have accelerators and things like this and mileage that i want to run or cycle in the course of a month and things like this but but it really is uh, like i mentioned it's not about like losing X amount of pounds or, or, you know, whatever it is. It's really much more about the, the activities that, that to me are kind of, you know, that the, they're the activities you know, themselves have value yeah. right? as, as opposed to just hitting a specific moment in time or, or like, you know, weight or something. That's huge though, because they're, to me, they're more anti-fragile than the, than the quick goal of, I want to have lost this much weight or I want to have, yeah. increase my my bench pr by whatever yeah. it's like those are hit or miss those are binary yeah. and often people get discouraged or deflated when they didn't get get it done in three months and re the reason was because they didn't show up to it most of the time right they're either unrealistic in the goal or they didn't show up to it longevity usually requires a commitment to a habit and yeah. making the goal the commitment to the habit right 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the power of the habit and I think it's very much that. And, and, and look, I think, you know, we are humans, we've been around for, you know, millennia. Uh, and I think what, what, like, as example, what differentiates us as hunters, you know, versus other animals is our ability to endure, right? You know, like we don't run as fast as a jaguar or, yeah. or as strong as a lion or whatever, but, but we can endure them, yeah. right? You know, we can wear them out. And I think it kind of, you know, you kind of forget this. And then, you know, I think it's, especially in the U.S., you know, where we have this, this tendency that, hey, the slightest thing is, you know, like like little pain or slightest slight things is a little bit, is a little off and, you know, you're going to take medicine for it. But I think really biologically we're designed, you know, to suffer a little bit and suffering is okay. And and if you put it in the context of, of your growing and, and it's really part of your your kind of biological makeup, yeah. then I think it's in the right right mindset. And then, then when you're like, if you're exercising, running, whatever it is you're doing, you you can put it in 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 the in the frame that you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know, and, and that's that's what we're designed to kind of we're designed to move. I think biologically, you know, it is. I'm sure we're designed yeah. actually to run. That that's where we have dumbed ourselves and reconditioned ourselves to be sedentary. Yeah, but biologically, we're designed to move. If if someone's listening right now and they've fallen into the belief that dude, that sounds great. I just don't have the time for that. Like more, it's more important for me just to get to work, drink my coffee, handle the deals of the day and the stress of the day. Like that sounds so nice, Jim, but I just don't have time for that. We're talking in my mind. We're talking to another founder, another leader of an organization. Where would you push back on that? Where would you Where would you invite them to think of that differently? Yeah, you know, I mean, end of the day, Drew. I think we all can make up any kind of rationale for anything we choose to do or not to do, for that matter, right? Yeah, I think this this kind of comes down back to your specific, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, reconciliation of the truth, right? Because, you know, if you say your priorities are these, like if, if you say my priorities is to have good physical and mental health, yet you choose to make no time for it or, or you rationalize it away, then that's not really a priority, right? Yeah. Clearly, you know, maybe, and, you know, I don't want to stipulate or, or project my priorities to anyone, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just saying, there's plenty of empirical proof of like, you know, again, people like yourself and, and, and many smart people, scientists, uh, you know, researchers, economists, whatever, have done a lot of studies on what it takes to be quote successful. Yeah. Right. So, and, and, you know, and what it takes to be human. So, so these things that we're talking about, this is not like novel ideas by any means, right? This is like proven a thousand times over. So, so then, you know, if as founders, you know, we truly are trying to, you know, grow something, inspire other people, whatever, we kind of need to be open to the truth, to the, mm. you know, open to like, oh, what's our basic composition, you know, and, and if we really kind of are like that, then, then we should put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. So, so well said. And I, I don't like being motivated by any shoulds, you know, that, that you're like you should do this, you should do this. I'm like, no, let me just think through it. Yeah. And what does the data say? You know, what do I want? Yeah. And often we have very similar wants. Like we all want to feel good. We all want to have more energy and we often have results we care about. And I just haven't found anything that is more in common with most people, if not all people, that taking care of yourself physically in some degree, taking a walk daily, pushing your body to some degree and giving it some kind of fuel is not going to accomplish all three of those things. Help you feel better, have more energy and actually more efficiently get to the goal you're trying to get to, even if you gave up an hour a day, right? It's like in the short term, it feels inefficient. 
You know, I think Elon Musk is a decent example. That's not a fantastic one, but he's even changed his mind on his sleep on his sleep patterns. Where years ago he was bragging about that he would sleep two to three hours a night and that was all he needed and you know in grind 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 mode and then recently someone asked him and he said i get six to seven hours and they said why and he basically said i realized it was inefficient that i felt like i was saving time by skipping sleep but he said i was less productive the next day i was making poorer decisions and i needed to slow down to speed up i needed to basically give in and and indulge myself in six to seven hours of sleep right and I kind of feel that way, not just about exercise, but about maybe meditation or about like taking breaks in the day for 15 minutes to collect yourself and get back in the zone. Yeah. Um, so it makes Absolutely. me curious Absolutely. outside of- By the way, there's, a, there's an interesting saying along those lines. I think it's from Bill Gates. I may be wrong uh, about who to credit, but, but the, I think the saying is, you know, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. Yes. You know, and it turns out that really in almost every venture of life as humans, our unit of measurement of significant accomplishment is certainly more than like like a month, a week or a month or, or a year. It's in the decades, right? Yes. And if yes. you think about it in that way, it's, it's, it's a much, you know, it's more difficult to get your brain like like wrapped around it because we're not really good at dealing with, you know, kind of like, like large timeframes and, and what seems like, you know, kind of infinitum but the reality is again that's what the data proves the data yeah. proves that you know we're, we're really here trying to build things for many years you know forward and then year to year and the more you do it the more that 10-year time frame or whatever it is that, that you think is actually part of the process it's not this like magical miraculous like you know thing that they're gonna somehow get to it's actually just part of this journey and, and then in 10 years time the journey is just going a little bit further Yes, dude. I called you dude. Sorry, the, uh, Jim. That was something that really clicked for me. So I had been at the age of thirty. I would say something switched, where in this component, it also was simultaneous to a lot of other components, like it always, it often is. But I, I really started to get a, a commitment that stuck to uh, physical exercise and and nutrition and that kind of thing. And I remember the walk I was on because I had about two to three years of making commitments and breaking them all the time, like trying to move towards that value and not be able to make it stick. But they were always short term. It was always like, let me try Beachbody. Let me try uh, Advocare. Let me try this three month sprint that I'm going to try to get in the best shape of my life at the end of three months. And again, I overestimated what I could get done in a short period of time. And I was always discouraged. And I would give up on it. And I remember being on a walk one day and I was like, you know, what I'm really avoiding is making a lifelong commitment to a value. I'm, I'm, I'm negotiating by trying to make short-term commitments so that I can go back to the way I used to be after those three months. And I've got to decide, do I want to be in better shape at 40 than I was at 30? Do I want to be in better shape at 50 than I was at 40? Uh -huh. And do I want to have like more of this lifelong commitment where I take the pressure off of today in a sense, but I play a game where I'm committed to a process, a value that will keep increasing slowly over time. And that's where I am. I was 30 at the time. I'm 36 now. And I can say, I'm like, yeah, I'm in better shape at 36 than I was at 30. And it's not just about shape, because at some point, right, like you probably won't lift as much at 50 as you did at 35. Yeah. But vitality, yeah. you know, joy and love even for the exercise. That was another thing. I wanted to find love in it. Like I didn't want to just like, all right, I'll, I'm going to commit to being cruel to myself every day. I'm like, could I find some things I like look forward to?
that I'm excited to go push my body or I'm excited to go on a run or I'm excited to go on a walk with my wife, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, Drew, a lot of this, and and again, we we could spend hours on this and and lots of bright people have, uh, Brad and myself, for sure. Like we seek control, right? You know, but we also, this kind of goes back to the higher order needs. We, We also seek uncertainty. Yeah. Right? You know, it's kind of a strange dichotomy. Yes. But things that you can control, like controlling the controllables, actually gives you, you know, satisfaction. So long as you're trying to get to that state of flow, so long as it's not so trivial. Yes. And, and like, like, you know, if you're saying, you know, uh, my goal is to breathe, that's not going to motivate you. You know, and then saying, hey, you know, my goal is, is like, you know, as a five foot nine to dunk a basketball, that's not going to motivate me. Either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's going to deflate me. Yeah, right? but but I can find some happy in between, and then get to say the flow around that, and that is incredibly satisfying, and that imputes positivity to everything else you do, to your mental well-being, to your relationships, to how you conceive life, and, you know, things like this. And to me, that's you know, that's kind of what I'm, I've been trying to do on a consistent basis. You know, it's, you know, it's not always going to work, right? You know, but but you know, much more than than often, much more often than not, you know, that's the process. Well, let's talk about flow for a second. This is the sec- second or third time we've I've, I've gotten to talk about this on the podcast recently, and I'm so excited. It feels like it's happening for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> what? Let's. Uh, what? What are your thoughts on flow? Like, why? What is flow in your in your estimation, right? And then, why does that matter? Why should we pursue getting into a flow state? Yeah, you know. So, uh, you know, I read a lot of books. I've read. I think the first time I came across this concept of flow was from. Daniel Pink's book, Drive. Yeah. And I think that the original originator of this idea is, is a Hungarian economist. Yeah. Mihai, I think is his name. Yes. Um, you know, so, but, but it, it's funny because I, I used to be an athlete, uh, you know, back in the day and, and thought I was going to, you know, be a professional and, you know, in soccer. Uh, and I still do soccer and coach and things like this. So I've, I've, I've had that state from, you know, again, fleetingly from moment to moment in, in that kind of a context, you know, where you kind of feel like, you know, you're exactly at the level of, you know, really tangibly growing, but being good, you know, in it. You're not, yes. you're not at a level where you're, you're mentally out of it because you think it's too far away or you're, you're, you're just under challenge, you know, and, and then, and, and the more you do it, the more, and it's, it's not just, the activity is, is how you feel, your breathing, your mental state, your your, your aura, and then all this other stuff. And people like Tony Robbins talk about this a lot as well, being state. Yes. Right. So I have felt that before. And, and I think that the question is, all right, it's great that if you feel that once in a while in, in like competition or something, but how do you how do you manufacture so it becomes kind of part of your life? And I think that's what I've been trying to, to kind of understand, which is not necessarily state of flow, but but how you kind of come up with daily routines, daily daily processes, daily goals, habits uh, that, that lead you down that path, right? And then then you, because the more you're conscious about that state, the more then you're able to tap back into it. Because many of us don't actually even, I don't know, I would say don't even really know. Like I'm, I'm out there like biking as example. Uh, like for instance, I was biking last week and biked about 80 miles. And I knew like after about, like 10, 15 miles, I was like suffering. I'm like, man. But then two hours into it, like about 40 miles in, I knew that I was gonna be, I knew I was gonna finish with with this like arduous cycle. Because yeah. at that moment I was in state of flow, even though I was hurting. Yep. Not to say I wasn't 
physically hurting, but mentally I could see it. I could see it clear as day. And I knew that I wasn't gonna, that nothing was gonna stop me from getting to that goal. But but it takes a little bit of suffering. It takes a little bit of kind of like, like you know, just, just controlling the controllables and emotions and things to get to that kind of, to that kind of uh, level. And I think then you feel really good about the accomplishments because the accomplishments, you know, seem significant. Yes. Yeah. So my, my business partner just sent me this uh, interview recently that I think J uh, Jim Collins did. Well, actually, the interview wasn't recent, but an article about the interview Jim Collins did with Tim Ferriss a good bit back. And he was talking about the three things that lead to fulfillment for him. Like he just seen these three things. If I got these, I feel fulfilled in life. Yeah. One was more simplicity in life. Two was more time spent in deep work or flow state. And the third was more time with loved ones. And I'm like, that's a pretty good recipe. Like if yeah. we feel like there's some level of simplicity, like instead of chaos and, and complication everywhere, second is that one that I keep, it keeps coming up, you know, that more time spent in deep work or in flow states. And I think, I think we don't even know it's available. It's, it's, it's felt like these fleeting moments that you can't, that you can't pin down, but I think you can. I, I think when we start to understand what's at the bottom of them, it's often focus. It's now maybe figuring out where focus is, but like where you actually settle in, like it took you miles in that bike ride before you got in flow state. It's the same thing in runners. Runners don't get runners highs in the first mile. They get that several miles in when they have almost like mentally and physically dropped into it. I'm here. I'm not quitting. I'm not running away. I'm right here. I see it in work. And I'm sure you've experienced in your work where if I give myself the hour and I do not check email, I don't allow myself to, to change priorities midway through, but I say I'm figuring this out or I'm creating this content or I'm doing whatever, you have the opportunity after a little bit to drop into a state of flow where you are more productive than you would be out of flow. That's the, that's the reality. Yeah. And you freaking enjoy it more. Yeah. And it was Stanford, it was one of the things that came out of their like kind of lifelong research where they're interviewing end of life, you know, reports on um, how fulfilled they were in life. And that was always coming up was whether they articulated that directly or not was basically how much of their life did they have moments of flow. And because yeah. often that indicates that you had a really long time with family and friends where you were laughing and lost track of time or that you were doing work that you were so engrossed in that yeah. you were like, man, that what a rich day. Like, I can't believe I got that finished or I, I uncovered this. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's a, it could be a modern work revolution if we start to really take this seriously and say, how do we learn to coach people and put them in positions where there's more periods in a day that they feel like they were in flow versus yeah. just reacting and flying around and, and shooting things off, whether they were actually productive or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. It does. And I think, you know, again, I don't think it's a one size fits all type of situation. Um, you know, we're, we're all different, but I think there's, there are definitely like leading indicators of what it would take yes. to, to structure it, to, to have something else. Cause what we don't want to do, I don't think in this kind of thing is, is hope for the best, like, like pure, like chancy, right. You know, it's, uh, because then, then it doesn't become repeatable, or or you can you can lose kind of the, the motivation. But if you can kind of come up with a structure where you lead yourself down this path, then I think for sure. You know, I was I was writing this this contract at night, and and it was funny because I I'd avoided it for like several days and, and just procrastinated and whatever, and didn't feel good about it. And then eventually, I'm like, you know, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Um, but then very quickly, I was in a state of flow. And then, then when you're done, you're like, 
why the heck did I not do this like yes. three days ago? I yes. created unnecessary stress for myself. <laughs> you know, and, and what, what I found actually is that there, there's some like little tricks you can do. For instance, you know, I'm one that if I start something like, like say as a, as a um, you know, document, if I start it and, you know, kind of get a couple of paragraphs into it and have the outline in, you know, it's dollars on, you know, to donuts, I'm going to finish it, right? Mm. Because otherwise it's going to really bug me. So, so then, then the question is, well, what does it take for me to get to that state? Because that state essentially accelerates, uh, you know, the accomplishment. You yeah. know, and the same thing with exercise. I think, you know, James Clear talks about this with Atomic Habits. Like for me, you know, going to, as an example, kickboxing, the, the trigger event is to be in my car. If mm. I'm in my car, it's 100, almost 100%, like barring, you know, like, like some, some natural disaster that I'm going to go be there and finish it and be and like do it extremely intensely. Yes. But if not, if I'm not in my car, then, you know, <laughs> there's no, there's, there's basically every chance that it, it wouldn't happen at all. Yeah. So, so, and it's these like, I think little structures that can, they can really be helpful. And people like yourself as performance coaches, I'm sure you, yeah. you know it, you can observe it, you can work with different people to, you know, kind of articulate what, you know, what really works for them. Well, tell me what you think about this. This is my working theory off of some of the, the companies we're working with. And this being one of the things that whether they know it or not, we're moving them towards, right? Like if they want the people to perform better, we're going to have to get more states of flow. Yeah. What, what I see as the enemy to flow right now, now, there's probably multiple enemies, but the main enemy to flow that I see is distraction. That if you're distracted, you can't be in flow. You can't drop into that state. So what's causing the distraction is often there's a war, like the four disciplines of execution people would say, there's a war between the important and the urgent, right? And we, we don't know what's what. They call it the tornado, the, the things that just pop up every day. And it always displaces the thing that you had clarity on early, that this is the most important thing in my area of responsibility right now and so we just start responding to the fires that come up and we start we feel reactive all day and it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it feels like if we do the work to say are you really is the company really clear on what's most important right now and then inside of that importance what is your role as marketing or your role as operations or your role as the creative director and then how do you prioritize and protect time that you need to crush that. And that time is where flow can, can, can happen, right? So this one company that actually were on the podcast was talking about that they have like a little, they call them flow boards on the outside of everyone's like cubicle or office door. And it shouldn't be all day, but there will be periods of time where they have like three colors that they can put on that board. Like I think green means come on in. Like I'm in a period of time that I've, it's totally fine if you disrupt me or whatever. I think blue or something means I'm out of the office or whatever. And then red means I am, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a flow hour. I'm in a flow state. So do not interrupt unless literally something's on fire, like actual fire, not a fake emergency. And they're like talking about that respect of each other. Like, Hey, someone's got their head down on something that is, is important. Respect that has generated to like way better results because people are getting that chance, even if it's only an hour or two hours a day where you got really important initiatives and work done, well, then you're kind of free to be a little bit more for the rest of the day. Like, yeah, what's going on? Like, let me handle that or let's have a conversation about that. But usually the important just gets pushed tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. 
Do you see that? Is that is that a possible way that we could start to think about bringing flow into the workplace? We first got to get real clear on what important is for you and then start to actually find ways to protect it and like give yourself time to get in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. And I think it's, it's a little bit high executed, maybe different from place to place. Of sure. Person. Sure. Especially in, in the world that at least I'm in these days, but many of us are, which is remote, right. You know, it's, it's, it's not so much the physical distractions per se, it's, it's more like the electronic ones. And, and really, I think we're also, yeah, it's just my personal theory for what it's for. I, I think you know, there's the urgent and the important, but there's also the, the what I'm going to call it, the, the uh, uh, numbing down activities. Things that are neither urgent nor important, but, but they, they kind of numb you. Yes. Because for whatever reasons you want to be numb, and, and there's a million reasons. Like, you know, like it, could be, it could be something as macro as COVID or, or state of politics and you know, vaccinations and things that are like, super, you know, kind of high level and, 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 you know, impact all of us as a community, or it could be much more micro at your individual level, you know? So, so I think, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of the, these things kind of going on. And I think to me, you know, it's, it's um, honestly, I, not to sound, you know, kind of dismissive about this, but I feel like the Pareto principle is, is almost always at work, which is, yeah. 80% of the work, 20% of resources. So, yeah. so, so really, if you could, if you could hone down on 20%, like, like, you know, one and a half hours out of your, your day. Yes. That could pretty much give you all that you need for your output and probably a lot more than most other people's. So, you know, so I don't really honestly do, I don't, I don't chastise myself on productivity per se. I don't really believe in this, like, you know, daily productivity and things like this, because I think, what I've seen from myself anyway, is that my productivity for that 20, if I can maximize the 20%, I can meet pretty much all of my goals for several reasons. One, I tend to be very efficient when I'm that focused. Exactly. Two, the most important things, as you say, are what I cover in that 20%. I, I can like, you know, like, like mosey along and cover the other 80, 80% or whatever, you know, in, 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 uh, you know, in a far less efficient way, but, but that 20% time, uh, that's the thing that I really need to kind of like maximize. So that's the way I think about it. And I'm trying to structure. That's exactly my, it. Yeah. Yeah. And then like being remote to me, part of the trick is, is like, you know, I think we tend to kind of get ourselves over, you know, like, like overscheduled, you know, yeah. too many meetings, too many things, too many podcasts, too many, whatever, um, you know, and I think you have to actively like, don't not do it. You have to actively have open spaces on your calendar and be proud of it and, and be committed to it because this, this like, you know, kind of this insidious thing of like, you know, you look at, and I, I mean, I've seen people you know, and they, they literally have no open slots in the calendars. And I'm, I'm like, I actually kind of worry about that as a culture because, yeah. you know, if that imputes itself from, it imputes from the, the one person to an organization. Now you have a pretty messed up organization. You have an organization that really, I don't think can be strategic or visionary or really focus on anything that's important because it got no attention to it. All yeah. the attention is on, you know, kind of like very, very transient, you know, probably low value things. Yes. So, so I, I actively honestly try not to, I, I try to have open things in my calendar and not over schedule and, you know, get, have got better as time has gone on with saying no and, and like, you know, and, and uh, pushing things out uh, out of my sphere of, of control because, because then that impacts the important things I got to do. 
So true. Yeah, we we hired an executive assistant <laughs> recently who was looking at my calendar, and she was proud of us. She's like, "Oh my gosh, like you're doing like it's cool to see how many gaps Drew has in the day." And we were like, "What gaps?" And we were looking at. It, she's like, "You've left him 15 minutes between these podcasts and 10 minutes between that." And I'm like, "Yeah, that actually is good because I didn't have that before." But we're about to get way better than this. <laughs> I need a morning back. I need bigger spi- sp- you know, blocks of time that I need you to help me with so that I can work on the business, not just in the business, you know? And what I found, like what you're talking about, an hour to two hours at most is really what I need of flow time. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah. that, that Pareto principle is so true. The first time I started thinking about it seriously was when I read The One Thing uh, by Gary Keller. And that's what he talked about. It's like there's likely at any given season one thing that's more important than everything else. And if you accomplish that one thing, it makes everything else either easier or irrelevant. Yeah. And so his his suggestion was one hour a day work on the one thing. Whatever that thing is, prioritize one hour a day. And I'm like, if we could just start there, I think everybody would feel so much more efficient. Like yeah. I already knew what my one thing was. I didn't have to wake up and wonder. I knew what it was. I did it from 9 to 10 because maybe that's my best, my best working hour or whatever. And then I could respond to the other 80% of stuff that only is going to deliver 20% of the result. I could, yeah. I could find that in the space that's remaining. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, there's, we're in a world that I think it's going to get only worse of noise versus signal. Yes. You know, and, and I think at the very least you need to recognize what the noise is and, and then hopefully get better at, at really honing in on the signal and focusing on that because, I mean, you could be lost in the noise, not just for an hour or two or a day or two, in basically uh, infinitely. Mm-hmm. You, you could be in the noise cycle you know, in almost every area, you know, and, and, and not really see the signal at all. Which leads to that numbing you were talking about. You almost yeah, yeah. either are numb because of it or you want to be numb because you just feel over-circuited. Like yeah. there's just noise yeah. all around. Yeah, and, and, and you, you know. Something's got to give, right? And at the end of the day, we all, as as adults, we're all individually accountable to ourselves, and you know, and, and our, you know, our family and our, our coworkers and what we do. And and so you, so the option isn't to throw your hands in the air and say, "Well, it is what it is." I mean, that's not a good answer, right? It right. is what it is is not a good answer. That's, that's a completely unaccountable answer. I love it. What <laughs> is what is something that's got your, either your fascination or curiosity right now? Like, what are you thinking about when you got time? Yeah, you know, I, I'm really, I guess, focused thinking about kind of what it is I can do, we can do as, as, as a company to, to really impact um, things that, that I just know are effed up, right? You know, like in healthcare, as an example, we all know it, you know, it's, it's uh, in, in the industry, obviously, I've been in and working around for a number of years now. So I have an insider's point of view. And, and, and almost every time I think of it, from almost any angle, like my personal angle, what my family has gone through professionally, you know, like, like, like the, the kind of work and things, it, it's, it's just so dispiriting. It's, it's profligate, uh, you know, it's incredibly wasteful, it's, it's disjointed, you know, very few take advantage of almost everyone and have created fiefdoms that, that, that serve them well, but not other people. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's like we're, we're in a place where people like, like myself, People like yourself as, as educators, you know, our, us as technologists, entrepreneurs, we can and should try and reverse that direction a little bit because it impacts all of us. COVID was a very good example. And, and it's an example that unfortunately keeps on 
you know, providing examples. Uh, and, and way, way too many people have lost, you know, the economy has just been destroyed, but, but it's really highlighted and spotlighted all of the, or so many of the things that are wrong, the opacity, you know, the, the disjointedness, the, 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 you know, incredible kind of um, lack of interoperability and things, oh, so many things, we, we could go on forever. Yeah. So, so I think with what we do as example, uh, Drew, and this is what, what keeps me interested and, and really motivated, there's an opportunity to impute um, accountability, that there's a way to, to show evidence of authenticity, like, like real data, as opposed to misinformation yes. or, 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 or manipulated information, that there's a real opportunity to, to lower some, some of this incredible bloatedness and, and, and cost of, of doing transactions. Like it should not take 15 years to develop a new compound that barely improves on the old one. Those are like real things. It shouldn't cost like, you know, billions of dollars to do so. Again, I think these are these are things that are really generally well understood, but but not really many entrepreneurs either haven't got into this space or, or they've been dissuaded because you know it's kind of stodgy and, and, and regulated and things like this. But I think there's an opportunity. There's opportunity, you know, fiscally speaking, there's opportunity to innovate, there's opportunity certainly to help all of us, you know, especially the aging people like you know, like myself and family. Yeah. So that's kind of what, what motivates me. It's a little bit of a swim upstream and and you know, and, and things like this. However, I think we kind of need to, people need to, not everything is going to be super easy, right? There, there are important things that are difficult, you know, and, and, uh, and you, and you, you got to take some action. And, and then you got to also really invigorate. It's never about one person or, or one team or one company, but, but invigorate the community, a community of, of people who kind of are pushing in this direction because then you know we can you can actually impact positively you can make a difference again unfortunately not over a course of a year or two this is like a decade or two type of thing but but yeah. nonetheless what's an example of maybe something you see let's say in the healthcare that your your company directly could deal with that is not just this should change yeah. it's also it can change i believe we can yeah. well you know a, a really obvious one i think this is one and there's many that we're doing and we have you know, kind of we're pursuing like around public health and, and information, uh, kind of like data interoperability, things like this. But I would say the one that's very probably easy for most of us to understand is, is around this area of, of price opacity. Like as, as example, if you, you know, if you or your family, if you've been, you know, to like a surgery as example, or, you know, like an outpatient type of thing. And, and then after a month or two, you get some kind of a bill or an EOB explanation benefits. You know, I can almost guarantee you, I mean, without having seen any of it, that, that you could call any number of people, like your insurance company, your physician, you know, the, the hospital administration, whoever, your, your uh, lawyer, your, your uh, senator, whoever, and not a single soul will be able to explain every line item there. Right. I, I can, and there will be many cases where the codes will be contradictory. There'll be many cases where the pricing, I mean, is completely unaccountable. This opacity, this pricing opacity is killing us, you know, in healthcare. It, it is so ludicrous. I mean, it's a, it's a US, typically US-centric thing, but it's designed, this opacity is designed, it's literally designed to a system because it allows to charge whatever. It allows the industry to, to grow in the way it is. And technologies that we're like we're talking about, like blockchain, can at the very least show you the traceability of where things are coming from. It may not justify the pricing. 
that's a whole different thing. There's there, there's an army of people who make there's there's an army of, of middle people who make a lot of money, you know, and intermediaries who make a lot of money, like group purchasing organizations, for instance, in insurance and, and you know, you know. But at the very least, you could see the traceability of like, you know, if, if Drew is paying, you know, like, like, like $1,500 on top of your copay and whatever you pay, this, these are the, the line items that is traced to. And then you could go back and then trace those and drill down. You know, th that's a big issue and, and really impacts all of us. It frustrates all of us. I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure every one of us has, has numerous stories that of, of our own personal experience or families or friends or whatever, or we've read about this, this price gouging and opacity and, and it's really killing. I mean, in many cases, it's, it's literally led to death of people. And I think, I mean, we can do better. We can, we yeah. can do a whole lot better in this. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, <laughs> this is a small story, I'm sure, uh, no, in comparison to, to other people's experience of this. But I just remember years ago, I had some kind of crazy sore throat that I still don't know if I knew what it was. It wouldn't go away. It got so bad that I, my wife was like, just go to the emergency room. I was like, all right. So go to the emergency room. I sit in this room. The doctor comes in and says, open your mouth. I open my mouth. He looks in it, and he goes, oh, you probably got strep. Let me write you this for this. By the way, I don't think it was strep because I talked to other doctors later. Like, that doesn't make any sense with the story and whatever. But either way, I go. I leave the hospital. He, That was all that happened. I sat in a room. He walked in. He looked at my mouth. Uh, no instruments, nothing. Just looked at it and said, yeah, I think you probably got strep. I'll write your script. So I go off. A month later, whatever, I get a, I get a bill for, I don't know, $3,000 or something. And I'm like, what? And I'm looking at it. And there's all these things I don't understand on there and this for this and this for this. I still don't know what the hell I got charged for. I'm like, I knew I was going to pay something for taking his time and for, for showing up, you know, that kind of thing. But, like, I walked away going, what am I getting charged for? And I have no idea how to even fight this. If I were to say, man, that's not fair. I thought it would just be this much for the visit. And yeah. since we didn't do any tests, since we didn't do whatever, it should just be this. So I think you're right. I think just starting with transparency we then could at least start to figure out what's going on, right? And, and you know, what you describe, unfortunately, is way too common. It's, it's really, that's the norm, not way too common. That is the norm. The yeah. exception is what you don't hear about, you know, and, and, and if, what, what you went through was a very, what's called a very low acuity condition. It's your, your, your garden variety type of thing. It's not like you yeah. went there for some kind of like, like, you know, brain aneurysm or something like this. You know, the, the comparison, like a simple comparison would be if, if you say went to Publix and you wanted to buy oranges, right? You know, and, and okay, you're like, you know, oranges, like they, you see these, these nice Florida oranges, you know, it's $2 a pound. And then you, you went to Publix next door, you know, it's $10 a pound. And then you go to, I don't know, like Ingalls, you know, five blocks down is $10,000 a pound. Yes. And then you go to another one and there's no price. And you only get the price after, after you, you put the credit card in. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, what are you talking about? I'm just getting oranges. You're not, the oranges are not very different, right? You know, right, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, slightly bigger or slightly smaller or whatever, but, but we're, we're fundamentally talking about the family of oranges. Yes. Like, I didn't go from here into kiwi fruit, right? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, but, but this is, this is kind of what we're talking about. It's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's funny because you say it and you're almost like laughing to yourself thinking, man, that's just crazy. Is, it, is this really the case? But it really is the case. Yes. You know, and, and, and you know, yeah, we could talk about this all day. Well, cool. I just wanted to, yeah, I wanted to, to touch on that because I know that you guys are doing exciting work and I want our audience even just to get a grasp on the kind of thing that you you and your, your, your company and your team and many other companies like you, thankfully, are out there starting to see areas that like, hey, this not only should change, but it could change. And we could leverage new technology like blockchain, 
to do all sorts of things. You know, for me, I only heard about blockchain just in terms of like you can invest in this thing called Bitcoin and maybe that makes you some money. And, yeah. and, and more and more people are starting to learn like, no, what the implications of the technology yeah. actually is in a variety of ways, not just as an investment tool uh, yeah. or a currency, a, you know, a trading of currency kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, Jim, this has been fascinating. I've already kept you longer than I said we were going to talk. Uh, you put me in a flow state having such an interesting conversation of this. So thank you for being back on the podcast, my friend. Thank you for uh, sharing, again, uh, your heart and your wisdom with us. It has been very, very valuable to me. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your time and the audience. And, yeah, we're really happy to connect with you. It was a great conversation. Awesome, buddy. Appreciate you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.